I am projecting an image onto you. Oh, maybe we'll have a podcast about it one day. That's funny that you should say that. Welcome to You'll Die Trying. Welcome. This is our uh, second episode, our second inaugural episode. Can you not? Can you have a second inaugural? This is our you don't re- first attempt to have a second inaugural episode. You don't swear in the president twice. Maybe we should. <laughs> let's, not, let's not go there. We have coffee brewing, ladies and gentlemen. Have your cup of coffee, maybe your Starbucks or, or you know, really, uh, what am I trying to say? Full, I don't, what am I, let's, let's edit that one out. <laughs> <laughs> we have coffee brewing. We'll be taking a break to go refill. Yeah, absolutely. Someone will be walking away from whoever says the, the first stupid thing, they will, the other will walk to get the coffee. I'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Okay. Uh, last week we were talking a lot about how, you know, this podcast hopefully is one that you can connect with. This is one that you can be like, Hey, you know, I'm feeling, thinking, hoping that as well. Um, and, uh, we just are glad that you're a part of it with us. This is a fun thing for, we are in a room. This, what do you think of this? We didn't talk about it last week, but what do you think of this room? I think this room is perfect for what we are about here. We're in a room. It's uh, the second floor, really, but it's a lot higher than most second floors, yes. I think. Uh, overlooking the Cathedral mm-hmm. of St. Stephen, um, which is the Holy See of the uh, Catholic Diocese of Owensboro. And uh, it's a sunny day today. Uh, it's in the morning. We Everett have... sings, before you keep going, Everett, my son, he sings, Oh, what type of weather do we have today? <laughs> That's sunny, so continue. <laughs> Your totes adorbs. We have gothic arched windows, acoustic panels. Um, thank you, one Brent. Section of a thanks, Brent. One section of a sectional. Mm-hmm. A couple of desks. Mm-hmm. Um, some nice artwork. Beautiful iPads everywhere. iPads, computers, microphones, headphones, cords. Um, but really, it's it's beautiful. It's this, very comfortable. This office, this is uh, my office. Dr. Carroll said I needed to name it the West Wing because it is on the west side. It is exactly what I want my office to be like. I'm so proud of it. It has things on the walls. Uh, it has my uh, A Gentleman's Closure record that released 10 years ago, by the way. Congratulations. Oh, I know. Thank you very much. It is, uh, you know, it's, it's really cool to look at that and be like, wow, I totally did that. And then there's some other things that, you know, pictures of the family and this art piece right here just got uh, cleaned and it hangs actually behind the podcast desk itself. It's it's, it's a portrait uh, painted of a farm, yep. a farmhouse with workers in the field. It's uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. That, that piece, this piece here was hung in the funeral home downstairs, man, in the th- 30s or 40s. I don't know the history of that, but uh, Jamie at Studio 105 said that that piece is legit. It just got reframed. And I was like, you know what? I want to hang it. I want to honor the the history of the funeral home. And so I have it up here in the office, but this office is something that I'm super proud of. And Megan came in here today 
Uh, and she was just giving me a hard time because she's like, you look so cute behind your desk. You know, you always, Dr. Carol always gets on to me because I am a leader that sometimes likes to get into the trenches, uh, trenches sometimes. all the time. Uh, for what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, you know, how does someone lead when they can't see. <laughs> and I'm oftentimes in the trenches. So this space is that where I can, you know, cultivate new ideas and create these thoughts and implementations. And then I can take it to the the masses, but you know, the team who are in the trenches and working tirelessly themselves. Well, you're a hard worker. Uh, and I think what helps is this entrepreneurial nugget. It's one of my favorite words you'll hear often. Uh, nugget that someone gave to me. I don't know if I read it or I heard it in a podcast, but I know that it's it's true. And that is business owners work on their business, not necessarily always in their business. So there are others doing the work of the business so the business owner can work on the business. So this perch that you have up above what's happening isn't in any way a kind of a hierarchical space. It's much more, as you just described, you stepping up on a limb so that you can see out, letting everybody know, here's where we're headed. And there's no way you would know that if you were down on the bottom doing all the, the slugging and the, the thrashing and the clearing of the trail. Sometimes that's called for, sometimes not. And you seem to know what time it is. Well, do you, did I put the coffee pot in, in to get brewed? I think I did. I did a, this yesterday, everyone. And so I'm freaking out and I didn't mean to change the subject, but that's, that's me in a nutshell. Back to what we were initially talking about. I think as a, as a funeral director, our job, just to, to put it into perspective, we are on 24 hours because, because death has no holiday. Uh, deaths occur oftentimes after 11 p.m. more than anything. So between 11 p.m., 3, 4 a.m., you're, you're up. We put a suit on, we go... We are present. Uh, we are awake and alert. And, uh, you know, we have this duty to this community, to the communities that we're in. And as a leader, you know, I still do death calls, is what it's called, where you go and you make contact with the family at the time of someone's death. You wait on and assist and care for a family at an arrangement time. You conduct a funeral. You might prepare a loved one, which is the embalming, which you can talk about that some other time, maybe. But as a leader, uh, you also are still getting emails and uh, following up with asset purchase agreements and trying to acquire new businesses and doing all these other things. So I do understand if you are in the throes of the trenches with everyone, you are totally not fully working on your business. Mm -hmm. And so as of late, this is probably what, a month or two what, where I've really been focusing on that. Yeah, yeah, you have been. And it's, it's, it's making it's, a difference. It's making a huge difference. It's making a huge, huge difference in my life professionally, personally. I went home yesterday at 4.30. Unheard of. <laughs> I, I swear. Yeah. Not kidding. Good I went home you. at 4.30, walked in the house. The boys realized, they're like, Daddy, you're home. Like It was it was an obvious Normally, shift. it's, who is this man coming into our house? <laughs> no, no, that is, we made a pact, Megan and I made a pact that uh, ba a babysitter daycare would not raise our children. We are in a service where our time is so much taken up and 
we have devoted our lives to the community. So I know I've said that before, but literally meaning there is no punch in punch out. It is, you are present. You literally need to be there for someone. And so there's been sacrifices on her end and the boys end where I'm not always present, but I, I am present overall. I'm not this disconnected father. Um, and I think that's important as a businessman or woman to be mindful of. And there is that balance that I want you to speak to. I think it's important to speak to, but to try to find that. And that is something that is ever changing and evolving is how in the heck do you run a successful, thriving organization business, have buy-in, have a culture, have acquisitions at the ready, have all these awesome things going on. And yet you're still at home at five o'clock to sit at the dinner table as a family, to take the dog on a walk around the block and to put the kids to bed by eight o'clock. Go Dr. Carol. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, uh, you know, that's obviously a great question. It's a lifelong question. And it's one that, uh, I don't know that anybody has ever really satisfyingly answered. Uh, but I think it's all in your boundaries. Ironically, I think that unless you know where the edges are, where the property lines are and the fences are, then we don't know um, how much of ourselves to give. Maybe you've heard of Martin Luther, the original Martin Luther, uh, German monk, lived uh, in the 16th century, uh, was famous for, uh, legendarily anyway, nailing the 95 theses it's tough to say on the radio, uh, to the Wittenberg church door in Wittenberg, Germany. He was remembered to have said that he prayed three hours a day. And people said, well, God, I mean, how would you do that? How, how can you get everything else done if you've prayed three hours a day? And he says, if I haven't prayed three hours a day, I can't get anything done. That was his particular perspective involving prayer and work. He was a, he was a monk, he was a professor, uh, and ended up being you know, the father of a major religious movement that's changed the course of human history. But his was a boundaried perspective. He knew what was necessary so that everything else could fit if and when there was time. For you, for me, family is necessary. This is one of the most important questions I ask myself when I'm about to take on a new challenge, say yes to an invitation to write something or speak somewhere or do something. I always ask myself, is is what I am about to do absolutely necessary? If the answer is less than a nine on a scale of one to 10, I'm not going to do it. There's a wonderful book. I think the author's name is Greg Cowan, K-E-O-W-N. The book is called Essentialism, and it's recognizing what is truly necessary. It is the disciplined pursuit of less. It's a wonderful book, wonderful read, and he's an engaging speaker. You can uh, Google him, YouTube him. He's been a guest on various podcasts, one of which was Michael Hyatt out of Nashville. Uh, He's spoken at Google, Facebook, other places where he's trying to remind people that if you're not disciplined in the pursuit of only that which is essential, then you will be undisciplined in your pursuit of everything that is not necessary, and you will be radically falling apart at some point because it's only that which is essential that we can believe in and have purpose for that kind of keeps us together. Family is that for many of us, not everyone, but many of us. Um, For some, it's work. 
For others, it's a hobby. You have to decide for yourself what is absolutely necessary. And so, as you've just said, for you, it's family. For you, it's not letting someone um, be a, uh, a surrogate parent. It's it's you wanting to be in the lives of your of your children, which means you have to say no. And I think one of the most powerful words we can say is no. Hardest thing that I am constantly working on that you stay on top of me for is <laughs> say no. Uh, walking into... Uh, the trenches with the staff and they'll come up to me and they'll ask me and you deal with this too. I'm sure you listening. If you're a business owner, they'll say, Hey, I need this or Hey, do you this? And then you've told me, Hey, uh, send me an email. Great idea. Great thought. Shoot me an email. We'll get it on the calendar to talk about. Right. Those are really cool things. And, uh, that just kind of elaborating on the saying, of, saying of no, it's kind of a, uh, a modified way to say no, not this time, but shoot me yeah. an email. I want to go back to, uh, as a parent and a businessman, uh, Last week you did. Uh, you said that uh, I I do have four funeral homes uh, acquisitions on the way. There's other things that are happening, and balancing those businesses, especially a 24 hour business with your phone constantly going off, with death calls coming in the evening, and people trying to stay in communication with one another. Here lately, or recently, Megan and I are expecting our third kid, uh, another boy. Congratulations. Yes. He is coming in uh, December, but that means November. I don't know when he's... I'm not a doctor, but our doctor, shout out to Dr. Maria Smith. You are incredible and <laughs> you are... Uh, an, my mom... See, this is me, squirrel. My mom uh, <laughs> had Dr. Haney Camp, Camp, Camp uh, deliver all of us and she talked to him, talked of him, never met him, but she talked of him with such high regard. And uh, Dr. Smith is, is that in our household. She is That's a, wonderful. A, she's a rock and she is a pioneer in her field and she takes care of my wife and my children. And for that, I'm grateful. But in regards to the children and being in business and so forth, I have a very, or have had, I'm learning finally, uh, about three years ago, it's been a three-year process. I've been trying I work every other weekend, you know that, uh, meaning I'm on a rotation of an on-call rotation, much like a, that of a, of a doctor. You know, you go in if someone's sick, well, we go in when someone passes away. I've had to learn how to have a weekend. Does that make sense? Yeah. I've been on call every other day, every other weekend for nine years now. And when the kids came along, it was like, what do I do now? Mm. Like, it's a Saturday. Well, you, you go and throw a ball with the kid or you go on a bike ride with the kid. Mm. But I had to teach myself how to do that. And I know people probably struggle with that. I think that what do you think is like the first step? Because for me, it was like I was all over the place and trying to figure out how do I do this? How do I, how do I sit and just appreciate this moment mm. and not be on call and just put the phone away, take the Apple watch off and just be kind of present? Yeah, there's a reason I don't have one of those. Uh, first, I have a watch that my wife gave me for our, uh, a wedding present. I'll never leave my wrist, but I, I don't want that kind of connectivity. You know, the the cell phones and the iPads and the computers, there's plenty there and there's plenty of opportunity for connection. But uh, I want to challenge this notion, and you kind of referred to it earlier and kind of questioning, is this even a thing? The language of it these days is work-life balance. It's written about their books, articles, journal entries, podcasts about work-life balance. And for those of you who are in business leadership, either as business owners or managers, HR, doing some work as a consultant with, with human resources, with people, there's a lot of talk about work-life balance. And here's the thing that I struggle with. The word balance, 
is I think for uh, one particular demographic, one particular part of the, the, the population, it makes sense for another part. It makes no sense at all. For instance, um, poets, artists, balance denotes stillness, which denotes stagnancy, which brings death. When I was doing the music, I felt that all the time. When I was in it, that was my career. Oh my gosh, stagnancy, I wanted to die. Yeah. So, while some people are striving for balance, others are abjectly averse to it. That's number one. The second piece to that is, where do we get this notion that work and life are separate? It's like this Greek division of body and soul that we can talk about on another podcast that really is not a real dichotomy. It doesn't exist, but it's, it's a Greek notion that's been passed down to us and everybody kind of accepts it as it is. There is no such split. There's no such separation. I am who I am. I am my mind. I am my body. I am everything in me that is alive, which is what soul means. I am me. I am uniquely, indivisibly me. In the same way that my life is uniquely and indivisibly my life, made up of my family, my interests, my work, my friendships, and other relationships. So, I don't buy into this notion that work and life can be so easily separated in the same way that atoms can't be easily separated. And great destruction happens when they are. So, I'd like to invite people into a different kind of thinking, and that is essentialism figuring out what is essential and giving yourself to that. And if it isn't essential, saying no to it. Your family, if it's essential to you, if they are, which I presume that they will be, I know they are to you and to me, my answer to my family is yes. Do I need to work? Do I choose to work? Absolutely. That's a part of me. My answer to work is yes. But when do I have to say no to work in order to say yes to family? And this is where it comes to priority. As we've talked about before, right. the word priority wasn't made plural until the 20th century in the United States. Um, priority was a singular word. How can you have 20 number one things? It's the number one thing. It's the first thing. It's the thing before. It's, it's the only thing. And everything else follows. So, I think it's important for us to acknowledge what is the priority and organize our lives around that. So, yeah, but but even still, and I can speak as a man, and I'm, I know you can too, that we do tend to identify with our work, and it's sometimes difficult for us to uh, to strike, quote-unquote, that balance. So, the, the question is, do we need to strike a balance, or do we need to reorganize how we think? There's a great book called uh, The Three Marriages, uh, Reimagining Work, Self, and Relationship. It's by poet David White, where he talks about the this equilibrium between being productive and being present. And how that's one of the hardest things to master in life, but it's one of the most important. So, I tend to think not as in terms of work-life balance, but in terms of being productive and being present. Being present in your productivity, being present in your rest, being present in your recreation. Uh, and I think that's that's something that takes a life to figure out. And I think that we have... We have better moments than others. Uh, it certainly isn't the responsibility of those we love to remind us of that. I think we need to be disciplined 
uh, to try to figure out how to do that ourselves. But at the same time, sometimes we do need help. This is why I love what I do. You know, as a therapist, I get to sit with people and listen to their stories and hold a mirror up and remind them that it's okay. Take time for yourself. You are the only you that you have. And uh, it's important for, for your life and for everyone who loves you and for any sense of being productive that you take care of you. Presence is super important. I remember growing up and dad worked all the time. I mean, some nights he would come in at eight o'clock at night. And I think, you know, in the eighties and nineties, especially it was still the effect of the fifties and sixties and the men going to the, you know, work and the women, you know, cooking and then cleaning the house, keeping house and putting the children to bed. The man comes home, you know, all those movies that depict that life. I think the tail end of that was, you know, my childhood growing up, dad worked all the time to provide for us. And, you know, I was a, uh, I was proud. I was a star athlete. I loved, you know, dad did come to games and, but mom was at all of them. And I think it, it probably did affect me. It, well, it, it did affect me. And I know it has affected, you know, you listening in some way, if your parent, one of the other or both weren't as present as they could have been or should have been. And back to what you said, it's, you know, it, it's not our job at this point to, to, you know, to throw that at someone. It's just, how do we deal with, right. get through that right. and overcome that. But yeah, presence is as a dad now, you know, as a young parent, being present is crucial. It's crucial to my son's development. It's crucial for my marriage and my relationship with my wife from the standpoint of my personal, but from my professional, it is super important that I am present when I'm here in the office at my desk and being the best version of me and the best leader. I, that's a, we could talk about this for like the next like 42 podcasts. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a captivating topic for mm-hmm. me. And I know I'm sure for many listening too. So for me, it's about organizing how we think. And I think that's one of the most important gifts we can give ourselves because I think when we're not disciplined in how we think, then we become undisciplined in how we feel. And we become, I think, anxious sometimes depressed. There are other reasons why people can be anxious or depressed, but for a large majority of people, I think from time to time at least, um, those symptoms develop because we have not been as disciplined as we might could be in our approach to our worlds. We haven't organized our thinking. We haven't organized our relationships. We haven't organized our relationship with ourself. You know, no, no, and, and very few people, if any, are actually talking about that in the public square. What is your relationship with yourself? You know, there was a there was a time when priests and pastors would come to people's homes and they would ask them this question, how is it with your soul? Right? It was a question that depended on where you were coming from. For some, it was a kind of proselytization, asking, you know, are you in relationship with God? And if not, why not? Let me give you the tools to get there. And I can, you know, put that as a, um, uh, a mark uh, on my, my win column mm-hmm. as a pastor. And then others were like, really, what? how is it with you? What is your relationship with God or yourself or your family? And I think it's a powerful and provocative question. How is it with you? I think this is the, at the very base, what we mean when we say, hey, how are you? But how are you now just means hi. And I tend to really kind of try not to say that in a greeting as I pass somebody on aisle nine in the Mexican food area at right. Kroger. I don't want to say, hey, how are you? Because I'm, I'm asking a question and I'm not sticking around to answer. And I think that's kind of dishonoring. So I just say, hey, or it's good to see you if it is, or just, hey, if it isn't. But when I say, how are you? I mean it. How are you? Dot, dot, dot. Really? How yeah, because you would hate you? to be in the not you know in the aisle of the Mexican section, and then someone when you say how are you in just generalistic, yeah, and they say 
I'm terrible. And you're like, you look at them, you know, like, yeah. oh, oops, and you know, like, you don't want to, I, got oh, myself yeah, I into. don't know what you got yourself into. I think that's, I think that's very important. I think it's important to think that way and to do that. And if you are going to ask, how are you to, to really stick around to, yep. to know. So isn't it amazing how a casual greeting and organizing your life between productivity and presence, all of that is related. Everything is connected. Yeah. Cause in my mind, before you said that, I was like, okay, did I just get off topic? But I didn't. <laughs> right. There is only one topic and it yeah. is everything. It is life. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Something that you said um, last week uh, has to me has to do with this in a more practical way. You said that when you were a child, you remember thinking I wanted to grow up and, and I wanted to wear a suit to work. You were organizing your thinking. You were projecting into the future a dream, and ultimately, you are realizing that dream. But I wanted to get to the practicality of dress, because, and I think all of this is connected. What to you does how you dress mean, and what does it contribute to you and how you do what you do? That's immediately I thought of granddad, like I've referenced. I was 11 or 12 years old, and... I go to his house or I had gone to his house every Sunday for brunch after church, like clockwork. It was our thing. And um, one day he's sitting in his chair. He has his chair and he's shining his shoes and he has this um, shoe shine kit out. And um, which um, on Christmas a couple of years ago uh, after his death, um, it was my mom gave that to me as a Christmas gift. Oh, wow. Pretty cool. I put his name on it. That's sacramental. Mm-hmm. And I have it, um, but it has all the shoes shining um, brushes and so forth, but he's shining his shoes vigorously. He served in uh, the United States Army during World War II. So I said, Granddad, what are you doing? And he says, I'm shining my shoes. And I said, you know, why? And he said, because you take care of what you have. And he goes into this long descriptive about... Um, how you don't have to have a lot to take care of. And it, it makes you, um, when you dress nicely and attend church, for instance, Mm -hmm. you are showing, um, honor to God, to your fellow parishioners. And he felt you came away with more Mm. because you came prepared in a sense. Right. Uh, so I've taken that with me. Uh, you don't have to have a lot, to take care of, you know, take care of what you have. And, and I, I, I don't know. I just, that's always been ingrained in me to answer your question. Absolutely. When I put my, I put a suit on every single day, whether we have a funeral or not, mm-hmm. I'm wearing a suit right now. And he is wearing a suit right now. I am. I'm wearing a suit right now. And, um, there's just something about it. People, you take yourself more serious. I think mm-hmm. people definitely take you more serious. You know, I'm always in a suit <laughs> to the point, you know, I'll walk into the bank and people stop and look at, and I don't want that attention per se, but people always say, you are always dressed so nicely. You know, I think it just, I think it creates results. Do you know that 93% of what we communicate is nonverbal? I didn't know it was that high, but I, that's interesting. 55% uh, body language, 38% um, has to do with uh, tone of voice. And then the 7% that remains is what we actually say. So body language, of course, is ensconced, literally wrapped up in what we wear. So we're communicating a message. 
It's an important distinction for me because in my work as a therapist, I recognize that people often are coming when they aren't feeling their best. So, I don't want to look my best when other people are meeting me not feeling their best. And I've learned this uh, when I was a pastor, I wore a suit every day and uh, a bow tie. That's kind of my thing. And um, I realized that going to hospitals to visit people when they were in basically a paper gown, and here I come, you know, dressed uh, for the day, it was sometimes, although it wasn't conscious maybe to them or me, maybe a little bit off-putting, um, that they were feeling so vulnerable and immodest um, and that I was so ready. So, I learned then, I gosh, you know, either I want to communicate about that or and ask, or I want to just start making some, sometimes I'll take my jacket off or I might, you know, take my tie off or wear an outfit where I could be with or without a jacket or a tie. And I realize that now in my line of work as a therapist that I, I need to kind of attend to that same kind of thing. Whereas in your world, you have to be always ready to present and to represent. And it makes such sense to me that you would wear a suit every day because you're you are representing not only this funeral home, these funeral homes, this business, these this family who operates this this business, but you're representing every single person person who comes in and you are representing the person who is no longer in the room to speak for him or herself. I went to the hospital, uh, it was about a month ago. Um, and when I say I go to the hospital, this is a death call. So this is about two in the morning, two fifteen in the morning. Now you're dead asleep. You wake up. Uh, my routine is I wake up to the phone ringing. Uh, our secretary says who, who's passed away, where they're located. I then literally hop out of bed. Uh, try not to wake my wife up or my children or make the dog bark, go into the closet, pick out my suit. I literally can get ready in five minutes, uh, brush my teeth. My shoes are by the door, ready to go. Um, I get to the hospital, uh, at this point, it's like two something in the morning. I don't recall. There's a, there's a phone that you ring. We have a special key to get to a specific point of the hospital. And then we have to ring, um, pathology and, um, pathology comes down and it's two girls. One of them is uh, training the other. And it was their first time in the morgue. And she says, why do you have a suit on? No one sees you. Mm-hmm. And I said, you do. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm wearing this for them. And I'm wearing this suit to honor you. And they lit up like Christmas trees. Absolutely. Um, and it made me feel good. It, it kind of, it, it just reignited this idea, this thought that, you know, who are you when I'm not looking, you know, right. this whole like, you know, if, character if I, is who yeah, you are when no one's watching. Yeah. And it just makes you proud. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think that I'm just really proud that I dress every day. Yes. For myself, but I dress in honor of technically you, this community. And I think that's, that's really cool. And I think that if you shift that maybe, you know, maybe shine your shoes or, or, I don't know, shave your beard, uh, shave your, shave your, uh, a shadow, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something to be said about it and people appreciate it. And I think you'll see, you know, results. It's kind of, I don't know. Well, when you are representing a loved one who has died, you can never be prepared enough. You can never represent well enough. So to, to show up fully dressed and ready, no matter what time of day or night is to say that 
man, that woman deserves absolutely everything I have to offer. You deserve the best always. And that's our, that's kind of our tagline. That's our, that's, that's kind of what I think about, what we think about every single day. You, you meaning me, you meaning you, Dr. J, and just, you deserve the best. You really do what, you know, and I don't know. I just, I strive every single day to, to try to be that, to be the best version I possibly could be. So anyway, it's just, it's a constant, it's a constant struggle reminder Again, we could talk about this all day long, too. All right? day long. Yeah. We're at the end of our uh, second podcast, our second inaugural podcast. I'm at the end of coffee almost, too. Looking forward to uh, next week, uh, our third of many conversations. I'd like to um, talk to you a little bit about language. Uh, we talked a little bit about the, the non-language, but about the language that we use. So, I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you and uh, talking to all of you who are listening. Uh, one week from now, uh, I'm Jonathan. And I am, um, I, my name is Nathan, still. <laughs> and this is uh, You'll Die Trying. I promise you, you will. See you next week. <laughs>